loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Karen V. Johnson. Karen received her JD from Georgetown Law Center, is a former Fulbright Scholar in Afghanistan, and holds master's degrees in public health and public and international affairs. She's a retired federal administrative law judge who practiced criminal and energy law for more than 30 years. She's also a former U.S. Army officer and major in the Army Reserves. Karen was personally trained by Alberto Viodo, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and is faculty at the Four Winds Society and a master practitioner of energy medicine. She has trained extensively in the techniques of illumination, soul retrieval, extractions of energies and entities, divination, and death rites. Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss, is her first book. Welcome, Karen. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And I have to say, obviously, I talk every week with someone who has been profoundly changed by loss. But I think you qualify as perhaps one of the most extreme uh, um, contrasts in some ways between the life you were living before your loss and the life you live now. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that you really, really um, completely reordered your life, didn't you? Yeah, I totally did. I mean, death was a doorway for me. Um, my 27-year-old son, Ben, died of a heroin overdose, and um, he wasn't an addict, and, you know, he... I didn't see him going down the slide of addiction. They went to a party with friends and they decided to try heroin and they gave him too much and he died instantly. He was a financial guy. Struggling though, he was a struggling young man as many young men are trying to find their place in the world um, at that age. And, uh, and so for me, his death just completely rocked my world, knocked me out of my world. Nothing made sense after that. And um, so that was the beginning of my journey um, on his, in, to find a spiritual path. And I do believe that he, he has led me on that journey. Um, he came to me right after he passed. I could see him just like he was right in front of me. And it was a real shock to me and a wake-up call that there really is life after death. And I wasn't really sure I believed that before then. It seemed to me that I would believe more that live is live and dead is dead. And I really wasn't sure about anything on the other side. But seeing him and experiencing him contacting me and being with me um, has really awakened me to the life on the other side and to a spiritual path that I think maybe sometimes it takes that, it takes something really big like a death to open that big doorway to shake us out of the world that we're living in. I call it success at any price. 
you know, we get entrapped into our lives. We have the mortgage and we have the cars and we have um, society and culture and family and we're living this life and really don't know how to get out of it, don't really think about getting out of it. And sometimes death is the catalyst. Well, part of it for me, and, and you can tell me if this resonates for you at all, is uh, when I survived, when I was still alive the day after my wife died, mm. uh, certain things were not as scary to me anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, like... Uh, changing, making a change I knew I needed to make, it was scarier not to do it in a way. Um, because uh, life's short, I guess, is part of it. Um, and and um, there wasn't as far to go. I was already, I've, I'd, uh, I was already experiencing uh, such a tremendous change that yeah. other things didn't seem quite as big to me. Yes, I think for me, I went from this very left brain legal analytical world where I'd been for 30 years and driving in the second worst traffic in the country for so many years. And I think for me, it was really difficult to figure out what would I do next? How, mm. what change would I make? How would I go on? Where would I be? And, and so for me, it, it was, it was truly um, a big change that overtook me because nothing fit anymore. I felt like nothing in my life made sense anymore. But I had no idea where I would go or what I would do. And initially I thought, okay, I'm gonna uh, go on this journey and I'll, I'll write a blog. It'll be more like a travel blog. And then Spirit had other ideas and it became a book and it became a journey of the bereaved through transition, resurrection and rebirth. So that's the journey of the brief that was kind of given to me and a way for people to begin to shift their grief and find for themselves um, a new life out of the ashes of the old. So grief is tricky and sometimes we can get really stuck in our grief and not know how to move on. Maybe not feel like we should move on or that it's possible to move on or that it's right to move on. There's so many. Well, ways. and even that expression, uh, I, I guess, I guess what I usually say is move forward, mm -hmm. um, because moving yeah. on for me sort of implies I'm over that now, and I, right. I don't actually want that. Uh, you know, I don't actually want to close the book on a, such a significant relationship in my life, and uh, you know, it just uh, it's never appealed to me. Yeah, I guess. No, you're right. Move forward. So move forward. And a lot of the cliches that are foisted on us, it's time to move on, time to get over it, time. I don't know whose time. You're still on. upset about that? <laughs> yeah, you're still upset about that? Right. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. I think some days, yes. <laughs> some days, yes. And I think sometimes people who are especially new in their grieving, become very isolated because of that. We know that we make those around us uncomfortable and others are uncomfortable with our grief. So they say things like, I remember them saying to me, well, Ben's in a better place. And the, the, I think by the 15th time somebody said that, I was ready to scream and say, well, I, I'm not in a You're better place. You're not. <laughs> you know? and, and actually I'm kind of angry with him that he's in this better place because that was not part of the picture here. So I'm not, this is not making me feel better at all, right? So. And it's timing, isn't it? Like you could, you could 
get on board with that now in a way that I'm sure it was completely inappropriate at the moment of loss. Yes. It's irrelevant whether he's in a better place or not. You're suffering. Yes, Um, exactly. Exactly. So it's kind of a way of not being listened to, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes we're asked to just put a lid on it. (laughs) Right. To to make more... Speaking of speaking of pleasing people and living the life they think you ought to live, um, that's part of it, isn't it? Don't yeah. don't show your suffering so we can be more comfortable. Yes, exactly. And it, it's for loss of all kinds. The same thing with people who are new, newly divorced, someone who's lost a business, someone who uh, lost a really good friend, and people were like, "Well, what's the big deal?" Mm. Right? You know, trivializing us trivializing our feelings and so to we want to get beyond that we want to have people take this journey through grief and allow themselves to look at it and be where they are with it and i like to say there's so many books that talk about um what next step to take so go on a date or go to a movie or go here or go there depending on who you've lost and and it doesn't work for everybody. And so that was sort of um, what came to me is that people, if you're carrying a lot of heavy judgments and suffering and attachments, you're really trying to go forward carrying like Santa Claus's sack of coal, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so looking at what we're carrying and really sitting in ceremony, so we're getting out of the physical, we're getting out of our reptilian brain and going into our neocortex, that place that we instinctively know when we step into a cathedral or a temple or a church, that quiet kind of sacred space. And if we see a candle, most of us, if we see a candles and there's an option to light a candle, we'll light the candle. And so getting in that frame of mind and sitting and really looking at 16, big questions of life, the questions that maybe we've been, I know I certainly did, kind of stamping down all my life, not really wanting to look too deeply at them. And then finding out where where you're stuck. What What is something that's rolling around in your head over and over, you're ruminating about, that you can release in a very ceremonial, sacred way? I think it's important to say, too, and and I'm glad you don't skip this in the book. At first, you knew your life wasn't working anymore, but you kept living it for a while. That that it's very, very hard. I've just seen this so often. I felt fortunate that I had already um, found work that that was compatible with my grief before the loss, Um, you know, because making those big changes right after a loss is so, so, so hard. Um, But at some point you were certainly ready to and needed to. Um, So I I never want to skip that part where kind of timing is everything, I guess. Um, We can, we can move as fast as we can move and no faster. Agreed? Yeah, for sure. And And I think sometimes we just, I know I was kind of pulled back 
into other people's expectations. Well, how long are you going to be off work? We have these cases and you have a docket and you have things to do and decisions to write. So I felt really compelled not to, not to, you know, not to take too long and to come back. Right. And I remember my first egg back trying, sitting in meetings, trying not to cry. Right. So I was by no means ready to come back to work, but there was no buddy at that time in our that workplace that was sort of a counselor a tradition transitional kind of person that could really help somebody with their grieving and i think that's becoming a little more of a cognizant subject in business um, now that people really need support that are grieving and they they need help in decision making they need help in re-entering and um and that the businesses that offer that are a lot better off for it because but it hits everyone doesn't it yeah i that my my kind of metaphor for that is always uh sheryl sandberg you know the the high up officer at facebook who after her husband died suddenly um just realized that the policies were all wrong i think it was like under two or three months before the whole policy was a month off for bereavement, which is still short, but it isn't three days. <laughs> yeah, for me, I was told I could have two hours off for his funeral. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, right. And, and that's very, being a judge, I've never been a judge, but I think it's very mental work. Like you have to have your brain working fairly well to do it. Uh, right. So I don't know how, how that's possible even or without injury, you know? Well, I'll tell you, I'd like people to hear a little from the book. And I, I feel as if this part of your book where you're talking about befriending the elephant on our chest is yeah. relevant because it's how do we listen to ourselves enough to know what to do next? Yeah. So would you like me to read a little little bit that, for That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So I love the phrase as above, so below for the journey of the bereaved through transition, resurrection and rebirth. We are mirroring the journey our loved ones are taking. Once I grasped that I too was on a journey, the pressure to get over it faded away. I could take my time and find my way through. Just like Ben, I could defy death by choosing a life with spiritual purpose. I could choose to live and love passionately and with great compassion, to forgive and to be forgiven, and to become better rather than bitter. And then with great courage, take the next step and be reborn into a new life of purpose and meaning from the ashes of the old. How can we possibly do that, you might ask? with death sitting like an elephant in our hearts. We have been enculturated to believe we must ignore this elephant or toss it out on its ear. We must get rid of our grief. But that elephant is very heavy and very stubborn and not going anywhere by force. Instead, we must befriend the grief in our heart and learn what it has to teach us about living. It's an interesting passage, and what it makes me think about is, is that uh, a huge part of what I work with with people as a grief counselor is not actually the feelings they have. It's them trying to not have the feelings that they have. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> you know, that, that the feelings are too big or, or inappropriate or um, 
judged or, you know, all of this um, lack of acceptance we have of just the normal feelings that go through a human being who's suffered a big loss. Right. And you're very liable to be labeled as um, needing medication if you go on too long and in a way that's not accepted. In the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, there's actually now something called extreme grief. And not to say that there isn't extreme grief and sometimes medicine helps, but sometimes it's just that we're not allowed to grieve. We're not allowed to, to express it. Yeah, I think I, I think, I think that um, my profession hasn't always done a very good job of differentiating depression and grief. Yeah. And they can they can coexist certainly, but most of what I find people in loss get from the medical community, including therapists, is uh, you're you're depressed. Let me give you medicine. But actually, in grief, you need to have the feelings. Yeah. It's not it's not a dull you know <laughs> depressed feeling. It's full of feeling. At least for me, it was, and for many people I work with. Yeah. And for sure, and, and so there's a lot of energy in grief. So we know this with marriage and with parenthood, that there's energy and it's transformational, create a new life, but grief we've kind of put off to the side. Oh, no, no, not that, because it's associated with sadness and despair. But if we can tap into that energy, that transformational energy, and look at grief in a little different way, it can really help people out of, out of the serious, seriousness of it. So when we come back from this this break we're about to have, let's talk about how you did that for yourself because there's nothing that helps more than hearing the struggle someone went through and got through, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, let's sure. even if it's not, you know, obviously we're saying follow your own path, but uh, knowing people have taken a path and found found their footing is really helpful. So let's come back and talk about that. And listeners, Alrighty. you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page of Voice America, um, links to everything there. And to find Karen V. Johnson, go to karenjohnson.net. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, 
Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Karen V. Johnson about her book, Living Grieving. And before the break, Karen, I was I was saying that I really want to talk with you about the specifics of your own, what you call your path um, to this different life you came to live, you know, from from a federal judge to energy healer is a big, long journey. Yeah. Um, but, but of course, as I've heard, the, the walk of a thousand, thousand miles begins with a single step. You know, you can only do it one step at a time. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, at first you kept doing this job, you had two hours off for for the funeral, which is just unimaginable, you had to make keep writing opinions and be responsible and show up in court at the right right time and sit and try, you know all that you kept doing. And that's sort of going on in the background, and then the day to day was very different when I was at home or weekends. So I would, you know, I got to the state where I was so upset that I was crying all the time and screaming and screaming until I threw up and then threw up until I was throwing up blood. And it was a mess. I was a disaster. And so I could feel my son above me. He had come to me when he was, I was actually on vacation in South Korea. And when I got that call that you never want to get from the detective saying, I'm sorry, but your son is dead. And I'm what do you mean he's dead? I mean, what happened? Did he have a car accident? Did he have what happened? You know, and, and then, oh, no, it was a heroin overdose, which was just must have just blown your mind, completely exploded my mind. And it took 24 hours because of the time difference for me to get back home from South Korea because it was the night and there was no more flights until the morning and all kinds of complications. And but he came to me in the airport just as like right like he was right in front of me with his big old grin standing there and then he disappeared. So I called my ex-husband and I said, I, you gotta check with the ME, I think he's alive. I think he's alive and he's trying to get out of that refrigerator, you gotta, I mean, I was hysterical. So he called the ME and the ME very kindly looked and said, I'm sorry, he's gone. But that was sort of a beginning for me to actually see him. And then as I was in such bad shape, um, 
I had a friend that came, I mean, people were very kind to me. I had a friend that came and stayed with me for a week and um, I, my daughter and her um, boyfriend came and stayed for six weeks. And so I had people around me, but not all the time. And and eventually when everybody left, I, I really got into that state of grief of just, you know, screaming and crying. And, and I could feel Ben around me, above me. I could feel him flitting around, but I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I knew he was there. And so I did something that in my left brain world, wouldn't, I would never have done is I Googled mediums, Fairfax County, Virginia. And to my surprise, there was a list of people, all these people that I never knew existed in my world. They just weren't part of my world. Right. And so I, and this is something that's happened to me so many times where spirit has guided me. So I'm looking at the list and all of a sudden one picture looked larger than the other. And I said, okay, well, I'll choose that one. <laughs> since, okay. since you thought you were choosing arbitrarily, why not right. choose on that basis? <laughs> why not choose on that basis? That seemed as good as anything else since I had was clueless about this. It was kind of a little like, this is, this is really off base here. You're really going off the edge here. So um, I went to visit her and she doesn't usually like to see people right away. It was, but... You know, she that stood out because I've I've interviewed several mediums and they all um, they have different amounts of time, but they don't like to see people right after grief because usually people are trying to get out of their grief at the yeah. very beginning. Uh, at, but you must have convinced her that's not what you were trying to do. Well, I think what got her was I kept saying, well, he's right here. He's right here. He's all around me. All I need you to do is just tell me what he's saying. You know, so he's right here. So I think she was pretty curious. And I said, you know, he flew right in past your husband and he's standing right there in the corner of the room. See that place over there, that, that candle flame that's shaking, he's shaking it. So to let you know that he's right there. And if you could just tell me what he's saying, that's all I need. And so it, she was great. She just went about her little mediumship self and, and gave me a great, she did her thing, you know. And then afterwards she said, you know, you might have some skills yourself because most people have no idea that their loved ones around them and can say they're standing right there and he's shaking the candle, letting you know, and all those kind of things. And so that kind of led me on a quest, but my quest was not to find a spiritual path, but just to have more connection with my son. For sure. And so I took mediumship classes. I found a, a center that offers classes in mediumship and spirituality and the Kabbalah and crystals and all the wonderful classes and things that I'd never been exposed to before. And I was just thirsty. I took everything, um, everything that I could take because it was a whole new world for me to explore and, and to explore with him. And it took me a while. So they call it the Claire's. So I, apparently I was Claire Senshi. I could sense him. I could see, but I couldn't hear anything. And so the the aspect of being clairaudient came in later. Um, but so it was it was a while, it took me a while of grieving and, and trying to have one foot in my old world and one foot in this new world and kind of knowing that eventually there was gonna come a point of explosion because can you imagine the Washington Post getting a hold of judge, um, decides cases by you know shamanism or you know something really really <laughs> your two your two worlds were not uh immediately yeah. evidently uh compatible 
No, no, <laughs> no. I knew that I was treading on, you know, icky ground. I, you know, and, and then I eventually was guided to an evolutionary astrologer. And he is fantastic. He's been doing it for 40 years. And he did a, this big reading for me, and I'd never had an astrology reading before. So he's going on and on about squares and, the, the, you know, planets. And I am no, I'm not really understanding what he's saying. And then at the end, he says, well, <clears throat> you're moving from shame, blame, guilt, and Uranus to um, a mystical path in Neptune. And I'm like, a mystical path? What what, what exactly? I don't even knew what that was. What's a mystical path? How, how do you define that, right? My left brain's trying frantically to figure, okay, let's get <laughs> something safe. Definitions, that's safe, right? <laughs> and so he said, well, a woman who I had that had a reading similar to yours became a shaman. And I thought, a shaman? I, I had no idea there were still shamans. That's how out of it I was. So... Um, it's almost embarrassing, but that's where I was at that point. And um, so I got off the call with him and I did what any, you know, tried and true lawyer would do. I, I Googled it. <laughs> Shamanism. Depend right? on research if you depend can't on depend research. on anything else. <laughs> right. right. And so the Four Winds Society popped up and I talked to an academic advisor and Three weeks later, I'm on a plane to um, Joshua Tree, California, shaking my head and saying, oh, what, what are you doing? These people, you, they're not going to have anything in common with them. But the good news is, if you don't like it, you could just leave and go to Palm Spring, Springs and have a facial and a, and a spa day. You know, I mean, we could just, we can get out of this if we need to. <laughs> really going in sort you of. had to maintain the exit door, huh, Karen? I had to have the exit door because I wasn't sure about all this. But, and then that was it. That was it for me. It just really resonated the south direction of the medicine wheel is where you begin. And that has that direction of shedding your past, all the old stories and ways of being like the serpent sheds its skin. Oh, what a metaphor. Mm. And I just loved it. And so I met so many people. And the interesting thing is we all wear so many masks that you look at people and you say, oh, I'd like this one and not that one, or this one would like me and not that one, or I won't have anything in common. And when you're forced into a situation where you have to work with people, and we did it by spirit lottery, by, by numbers, so people couldn't just click up, you begin to realize underneath all that, everybody's just like you. They have their fears, their worries, their concerns, and all the rest of it is just, um, just that mask that people wear to survive in the world. I, I often walk down the street and and uh, have a deep curiosity. What's going on in the head of all these people? You know, what's going on inside of them? What are they feeling? What are they thinking? Because we really do not know, do we? No. I mean, how often somebody says, how are you in Google? Fine. How about you? Fine. Fine. <laughs> well, let's have coffee someday. Okay. Right. And none <laughs> of that is real. Right. In the meantime, part of you know, that big deconstruction that I went through is I was able to be really real with people and finding out something beyond the fine, fine and the bragging about the ch their children and this come to find out they had their worries, they had their concerns, they had their problems. And we could sit with a cup of tea and be real with each other because 
I wasn't pretending anymore. It's interesting because as a young person, I was horribly shy, uh, kind of agoraphobic, socially awkward, all that. And at some point after loss, I or during even my wife's illness, I realized it was that I didn't really want to be superficial. Yeah. I didn't know how to be, you know, it didn't work. So then I, I started, you know, I'd go to a party when that was still a thing I did. Now, COVID, I haven't done that in quite some time. But, um, uh, and, and I would just, someone would say something like, how are you? And I'd, I'd actually really tell them. Right. And, and one of two things would happen. Either they'd say, oh, how nice, and, and walk away. Or we'd have a wonderful conversation. Right. right. <laughs> it was going to be one or the other. There's no in between. And <laughs> the walking away is okay. It's like, I'm and that's fine. Real. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. We're, you know, I get I get that this is not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> but it is mine. So. And that's I think the beauty of it way. is planting the seed. Even though the ones that walk away, sometimes they kind of look back at, over their shoulder at you like, huh. Maybe I missed an opportunity there, you know, so it gets Oh, I don't to... know. I don't, I don't even get into that anymore. You know, mm-hmm. what's my impact on other people? Uh, the people I love, yes, I care deeply. But the rest, I'm just trying to meet my own way of being. Yeah. And I think that that's something you talk about a lot in your book. Um, how do you really be yourself? Yeah. Uh, and, you know... Obviously, I don't go around hurting people or, you know, doing things that are damaging, but I also don't spend a lot of time thinking about whether I'm acceptable. Right. Yeah. And that's that's part of something to sit down with. And some of the practices are uh, non-doing. So some of us keep ourselves really, really busy. I know I did so that we can avoid uncomfortable emotions and being able to sit and really sit with those uncomfortable emotions is so important you know there's a there's a there's a place in your book uh we only have a few more minutes before the next break maybe you could share that because it is i'm looking at it and it's about stillness and finding still places to actually hear ourselves (laughs) yeah so this is what i have people do with all the 16 exercises I ask them to start by finding a notebook, a pen or pencil, a candle, and a small tin pie pan or tray. The pan will be used to catch ashes later in the exercise. In this exercise, you will write honest answers to four questions, then set an intent, hold them to the candle flame, and burn them. By burning them, you release them to your concept of God or spirit or universe for your healing. Then allow your heart to open to allow in new ways of filling the newly freed space. If you would rather light a fire in your fireplace or outside, that's fine too. In shamanic mythology, fire is a path of rapid transformation. So by burning your answers, you allow rapid transformation into your life. There's no need to worry that someone might find your answers because you will be burning them. This will allow you to be completely and radically honest in your answers because no one will see them but you. Next, find somewhere you can sit alone in stillness with your notebook, pen or pencil, candle, and pie pan beside you. 
Allow yourself this alone time when you have nowhere to go and nothing to do. As you sit, concentrate on your in-breath and your out-breath. When we breathe, we empty our lungs of old, stale air so fresh new air can come in. Our breath is a metaphor for the exercises in this book. We are in the process of breathing out old, stale ways of being so new ones have space to live inside us. In solitude, we can hear the voices inside ourselves that grow faint and are drowned out by the noise and busyness of our daily lives and by the presence of other people. Stay still until you are in a place of knowing that what you are hearing is the subtle voice of your spirit. Stay until the doors and walls you have erected around your broken heart are open. Once you feel ready, ask yourself the questions below and answer with radical answer them with radical honesty, meaning no holds barred, nothing held back, courageously naming that which, which must be named for your transformation. I assume that you probably still at times do that because what what I've noticed having been uh, a great believer in change and it's an intuition and being myself for a long time that we keep changing right we keep oh, evolving yeah. we keep having things that we have to be honest with ourselves and and things we need to go forward from so that seems like a good a good ongoing practice to kind of stay stay empty stay um aware and empty Yes, it's sort of like the layers of an onion. We start, we peel away the, the top layer, and so that new, um, fresh layer is exposed. Sort of like the, the serpent's shedding its skin, that new skin that is so delicate and, and could be torn so easily, you know, ready to expose even the next layer and the next layer and next layer as we grow. And, and serpents shed their skins about seven times a year as they grow. So as we grow, we that more. often. Yeah, I, that <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that was. It was so often. That's yeah. amazing. So like them, as we grow, we outgrow that old skin, and then we discover that even with our new skin, we continue to grow and change, and we even outgrow that one. That's the beauty of it, of living. I think. I, I agree with that. Let's go to our second break and come back and talk some more. And listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, the Good Grief host page, and to find Karen V. Johnson, go to karenjohnson.net. Back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief 
That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Karen V. Johnson, the author of Living Grieving. And, And Karen... Um, you know, obviously, since I've read your book, I know that you traveled all over the world looking for these these things that resonate for you, yeah. uh, the things that were right for you in terms of a path. And I thought it was really uh, meaningful that you included all the things you tried. Some of Some of them ended up not being for you. And I also know from my own personal experience, something can be for you for a period of time and then no longer for you. you So back to what we were talking about before the break, uh, we've got to keep pace with ourselves and and keep keep our beginner's mind fresh, huh? Yeah, for sure. And, And always living in integrity and looking at what we're doing really in that with radical honesty, are we living the life we chose or are we living a life somebody chose for us and then determining you know when you make choices about which way to go are you being honest with yourself or are you making it to please somebody else or please you know society culture family all those things or are we can we be radically honest about what what we're doing and why we're doing it and choose what is right for us, not to please someone else. You know, it's it's interesting. I was just having a conversation with, with someone in another context about who we were talking about feeling we'd both experienced a head start on authenticity because we had to uh, come to terms with our sexuality at young ages. 
<laughs> because it is that kind of thing. You're, people are, are not going to be, well, at that time, uh, for me, it was in 1971 or 70, something like that. Not a popular choice. <laughs> right. And I do feel that has influenced me all my life, coming to terms with not doing what people thought I ought to. Yeah. Uh, and and having to claim it as right for me anyway. Um, so, you know, I don't think everyone is encounters a reason that they have to do that so young. And then, you know, for you, it happened quite, quite a long time after being 18, right? Uh, which is the age I was. Um, for sure. So, so maybe this is why i i tend to find people who've had deep loss and gone through it um fairly a fairly authentic bunch because <laughs> you do have to learn to listen to yourself don't you you do you you get kicked out of the matrix like i said you kind of get you find yourself lead, lying bleeding in the middle of a desert somewhere not knowing where you are and which way is the which way is the water which way is the, you're lost and so in that being lost it's an opportunity if you can see it as an opportunity and potential and it having energy for transformation it sort of changes the whole thing instead of getting lost in despair and hopelessness to say okay you know here i am this is i'm big. going somewhere i don't know where somewhere. yet <laughs> right right and, and, and right. so there's a concept of indigenous alchemy that I, I just love. So I looked that up. What's indigenous? It means native or innate. And alchemy, transformation. And so what if we're hardwired as humans to transform? And what if being stuck and really putting the lid on and saying, I'm not going to go forward. I'm going to stay right here and I'm, I'm going to grieve and I'm going to make a shrine to my loved one. I'm going to and I'm never going to do anything again. Um, I'm not going to live life anymore. What if that is just causing so much pain and grief and anxiety that can lead to illness and sickness over time? Because what if we're hardwired for transformation? And that's what I'm finding with people that I work with, with grief is once we get to the root of grief, and it can be compound grief, old grief from 20 I years ago, things that didn't grieve, abortions, um, stillbirths, oh, so many things. Um, once we get to the root of that, really tap into transformation. And they really begin to be able to move, move forward, as you said, you know, move forward and see, huh, maybe there's a way I can resurrect, huh, maybe there's a way that I can be reborn that honors my loved one and honors life. You know, we're kind of skipping ahead uh, in the story, of course, because your book is organized in terms of following the path of the four directions and all the different aspects of that. We're skipping ahead to transcendence now, but I'd love for you to read the piece from the very last chapter because we don't go forward leaving our loved ones the, the things we did lose, we, do, we don't go forward forgetting those things. And I thought you captured that well in, in this final chapter. Would you share that? Sure. Okay, so transcendence. And this is after the journey. So this is a quote by Rumi. Try not to resist the changes that come your way. 
Instead, let life live through you. And do not worry that your life is turning upside down. How do you know that the side you are used to is better than the one to come? And so I miss Ben every single day. I miss having him here bopping his head and singing me silly songs. I miss his big presence and giving him a hug. I miss the grandchildren that he might have shared with me. And yet I have a relationship with him that is profoundly different from anything I could have imagined. When someone asked me how many children I have, I used to just want to shrivel up and crawl away. Now I just say two children, one daughter in physical form and one in spirit. Yep, I do get looks of shocked horror, but I'm okay with it now. I've embraced it. And now we can really talk about what's important in my life and in yours. I can be that person who understands, and so can you. We are ultimately all touched by death. So many people are carrying hurt around and hiding the pain of loss of a sibling or a niece or a nephew or a cousin or a coworker or a friend or a husband or a mother or a father or a child. So many people are hiding their experiences of seeing or hearing the person they have lost. So many people are hiding their grieving hearts because they have been told it's time to move on or you have to get over it. I say I'll never get over it, but I have gotten through it. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about, that those two things can, over time, happily coexist? Yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine not missing the physical presence of my first wife. I can't imagine not missing that in some part of me. And also, I have a perfectly healthy relationship with her in an entirely different way. Yes. And I think that's what sometimes, in, especially in the early stages of griefing, we don't see that, or we haven't experienced it, or we've been told that doesn't exist. And so, you know, many people are carrying around really old grief and wounding and told that what they experienced wasn't real, and they didn't see that, and they didn't hear that, and don't talk about that, seeing their loved one or sensing their loved one or knowing they're on the other side. And sometimes people have been told, oh, well, if they're in heaven, how can they come back? You know, they're, they're, if, what could you be seeing? It's not possible. And I always tell people, well, you know, it's not prison over there. <laughs> they're not jail. And also, I, I don't think, I don't particularly feel a strong need to understand exactly what's going on. I just know that if I'm sitting in, in uh, a room with someone I'm trying to be there for, and I'm not sure what to do next. When I ask, I get an answer. <laughs> so yes. That's good enough for me. <laughs> right. Don't have to worry about where, it's in, where they are and, you know, the different bardos and different planes. And, you know, I, I love some of the Buddhist, you know, the, the universal consciousness. And I really recently found about Amitabha Buddha, who is light and love and has to do with Sukhavati, which is sort of an in-between place between the endless rebirth and nirvana. So all, re all, all places talk about in between places or the higher places. And, and I, my experience is people just come back and forth and we don't really know exactly how it all works. It might it. not even be higher and lower. It might that not might. even be higher <laughs> in between. Who knows? We will know someday, won't we? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> All I know is, you know, my son comes and, and he's very happy, much more happy than he was in life. Mm -hmm. He's learning with ascended masters and having a good time. And what could, a, what more could I want? That's what I wanted for him in life. And I'm happy that he achieved it in the afterlife. You know, having a, uh, it's, it's interesting because I've had clients who had kids that struggled, who then, then died. And, um, you know, on the one hand, um, there's so, something so poignantly painful, as you well know, in that. And then also, it did end the constant worry. Yes. You know, that um, I'm, it doesn't, the pain is profound, but the worry is not there anymore. Yeah. It's, oh, it's quite an interesting collision there. Well, you, I've heard it called grief relief. And sometimes we feel very um, uh, guilty, uh, shame, blame, guilt, that we could feel relief. So I felt so, a, a lot of relief because Ben wasn't struggling. I didn't have to worry about him in the same one. And yet I was grieving and yet I felt guilty that I was feeling relief. And, it, you know, it just, your head just becomes ready to explode with it all. And so if just, you're trying to understand it as one right. story, <laughs> right. right? Trying to understand and, and, and not really having people at that time that were able to speak with me about that's perfectly normal. Of course you feel some relief and of course you feel mad at him, right? Are you supposed to be, let's not talk ill of the dead. Well, I'm really mad at him. Okay, this was not, this, even when- It wasn't talked, a good move, right? It wasn't a good move. He said it was a boneheaded move. And I'm like, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not happy here, right? I'm, not, I'm mad and I'm in a way happy and relieved and glad. And all these emotions just are like uh, uh, roiling through us as the newly bereaved. And so I think we have to have great compassion for the newly bereaved. Yes. And, and also, you know, in this, in this time where everyone's lost so much, um, yeah. uh, I've noticed I, it made me very aware that I still let a feeling come in, find a word for it, let it go. You know, it's a constant practice. Yes. Feelings are, you don't get over feelings. They keep happening. Have, happening. <laughs> so I've heard this before. You probably have to name it, claim it, release it. And that's, that's exactly it. Because we got to keep moving. It's kind of fast yeah. these days inside. Yeah. Karen, I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it too, Cheryl. Thank you so much. You bet. To find Karen V. Johnson, go to karenjohnson.net. Next week, I'll have Kelly Skloda. We'll be talking about her book, A Way Back to Health, 12 Lessons from a Cancer Survivor. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.